The audience, it's great to have you all back for our second hour episode of our talk on Spotify. Today, we are doing a deep dive on the company. And I'm very happy to welcome Jeremy Deal and Sleepwell Capital. It's great to have you on, guys. Great to be here. Thank you, Tillman. Thanks for having us back on again. It's great you're back. So maybe let us start with the question, what kind of animal is Spotify in your eyes? And try to define what Spotify as a business is. Is it a streaming service? Is it a platform? Is it something else? What is your definition of Spotify? Sure. So maybe I'll I'll start. It's it's not the it's not the easiest question, especially because as we most of us that that have been following it for for the past couple of years know it's it's been it's been evolving at a rather rapid pace in terms of its of its strategy. But I guess the most uh, the most recent definition in, in in my head, the way I think about it, is uh, the only uh, focused and and scaled audio platform in the world. Um, that's kind of the the one liner uh, for me. It's not um, it's not only a music service as as it was if you look back as as short as four years ago, um, but it's really going after the entire audio market. Um, nowadays, so its it, its strategy has has changed a lot, and and I expected it, it it might look something something different if we think five years from now. Yeah, and I would echo that. I would say that it's where it started. Um, how how people know the company maybe four or five years ago is is kind of behind. I mean, it's it's evolved. It it um, like all great companies, it started one place and leveraged itself into um, a very different place. So as an audio platform, uh, that transition from a, just a music streaming business to truly an audio platform is, is a really important differentiator because um, it becomes a really important tool for the creator and also just kind of a must-have for, for consumers around the world uh, because it's an enabler for the creator and the, and, the, and the fan to interact in a way that wasn't really possible before. So to try to summarize your answer, you miss a lot if you define Spotify just as a play on music or? Yeah, absolutely. I would, uh, I would, I would say that. To be, to be clear, if you look sort of the, the total listening hours, the majority, the vast majority of that share is, is still in music. But as we've seen, from the recent investments and and shift in, in narrative and, and focus, it's it it's much um, it's much wider than that. Not only podcasting, but we've also seen them go into live audio, also known as as uh, interactive audio. So I think we'll see them attacking new frontiers when it when it comes to to the audio market globally. Yeah, not that there's anything wrong with the music side. I mean, I don't think it's um, I think the mus music could potentially be will continue to be, you know, a, a really important part of their business. But on the music side, uh, it's easy to say, oh, look at this other business they're getting into and just look at it as a as an audio business. But the music side has has an enormous opportunity. Um, so it's it's not necessarily that the music is music is sort of at maturity. It's just that music and its prior And the prior way that was used, the prior way we think about monetization of music um, is what's changing quickly. So, yes, Spotify is more than just music, but just looking at the music side, there's an enormous opportunity. So that's, I think that's important as well. You already mentioned at Sleep um, that Spotify is unique. How unique are they and how are you both thinking about the competitive landscape of Spotify? Who are they competing with? Um, I think the biggest competitor is radio. I mean, Daniel Eck talks about that, and I and I see that. You know, when I travel around and get in Ubers in different countries. I mean, I was just in New York for 24 hours, and I took a series of Ubers, and every Uber I was in just had was listening to the radio. I mean, it's it's radio. You could think of as having almost 100 market share everywhere in the world. Uh, there was a study done recently where they looked at the radio listen, listening hours in 21 countries. It was something like 2.4 hours a day. 
So in places like the U.S., it could be higher. So I mean, radio is by far um, the the biggest competitor to to Spotify and to streaming in general. Yeah, I think that's actually a very interesting way to think about it, Jeremy, and, and perhaps not the most intuitive one, but absolutely, I agree with you when it comes to the you know the 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 big prize or the opportunity when it comes to the total share of of audio radio is is still on a global basis uh the biggest you know what what's capturing a lot of that of that share so in that in that sense it makes sense for them to 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 go after that and uh do as much as they can to to bring all of those or or as most of those listeners as they can online uh when it comes to On the other hand, when it comes to, you know, sort of pure music streaming companies, naturally there's there's competitors that offer similar products to 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 Spotify. The biggest ones being the you know the big tech companies that we that we're all very familiar with. Obviously, Apple with with Apple Music is the is is the second is the second player just to just to be clear spotify does lead with roughly a third of of, of the market share when we look at uh at music music subscription streaming specifically um so you have apple uh after that and then closely followed by amazon and then uh google with uh with youtube music uh and then you have a a bunch of of much smaller players uh most of them scattered across different uh different regions and and you know if you look at india for example there's 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 a, a lot of a lot of players that are very strong locally but then have no presence in in other countries etc so it's uh it, it's a very sort of varied competitive landscape when you when especially when you take out the the big tech companies but i think the there's a couple things to to keep in mind when we compare Spotify to these to these other players, uh, the first one being that, as I mentioned in in the beginning, Spotify is is really the only the only global one that's purely focused on on not just music but also also audio. So there's uh, there's no really uh, a pure play competitor that's that's doing something like Spotify uh, out there for the tech companies, in my opinion. Music is is pretty much a distraction for them, and they don't really have, or seem to have, many intentions to to, to make much money from that part of the business. It it just serves as an additional service for for a sort of a greater bundle. In the case of of uh, Apple Music, I know we were we were talking about this yesterday, Jeremy. I thought you had a very good point in talking about. Uh, cloud and, and storage, where they're basically bundling music and, and arcade and news with with a more sort of relevant offering when it comes to iPhone users. Um, so in the case of Apple, I think that's very relevant. In the case of YouTube, people are really just focusing on the on the video. And if you look at the statistics that Spotify has has talked about in terms of of engagement, they say it's usually anywhere from two as much as three times higher than the competitors. So the evidence points to the Spotify product being, you know, much superior to to what to, to what the competitors are, are are offering, and I think those those numbers are, are are pretty compelling, and as well as the fact that they're a lot bigger as well, and they've you know they've started to increase prices without much or without any impact to their business. So, yeah, and I'll just echo that as one of the reasons I think you don't see the numbers broken out, for example, for. For Apple Music, because I don't really know if you can break them out in the same way. I mean, so Apple, Apple, the, the what what you get when you when you upgrade this for storage when you buy storage. So let's say you get that that famous um, warning that says you're almost out of storage, and you know people might look at that and say, well, if I don't buy storage, I'm going to lose these important videos or or pictures or whatever. Maybe you don't have time to go through them, and so there's there's this constant reminder that you're almost out of storage and over time people are buying more and more storage for their phone and with that iCloud service you get uh, bundled in music and other things so what we don't really know is if it was a stand we don't have as a true standalone product to compare for example Apple Music with Spotify or um, the same with with YouTube. When you watch YouTube, anybody that watches YouTube and doesn't have the premium service 
is familiar with the screen that pops up every single time you open the browser and it says subscribe for one month, you know, free trial, whatever for the for the premium service. And with that premium service for YouTube video, you get access to music, you get YouTube music as well. So um, it's it is a different animal for these other companies. It's kind of a it's an auxiliary product. It's it's just a feature and there's streaming catalogs. And and I encourage anybody that doesn't use Spotify to just download Apple Music and play with it and compare it to the selection and the interactiveness of, of Spotify, the recommendation list. You know, when you're there, when, when you when you see, a um, you know, the, when you see on Spotify a, um, uh, you know, some of the music lists, for example, the, the lists you see are going to be different for each person. So the recommendation engine is to getting more and more superior as time goes on, kind of like Google search um, gets better and better every time somebody uses it. And um, that recommendation engine is becoming more and more important as the quantity of music increases. And so as more do-it-yourself artists, DIY artists emerge, uh, because costs come down to publish. And the same with podcasting as, as the tools to, to produce an excellent podcast come down in cost, the more content's added and the more important that discovery feature is. And um, not only the discovery feature, but the ability for the artist to be able to find and identify their fan base and, and figure out how they want to monetize them. And that's a, that is a fundamentally different value proposition overall than just a, a, a music catalog where you can type in your favorite artist and have it play. Like for example, with, with, you know, other, other streaming services. So um, yeah, the, the competitive landscape is, is when, when you really play with the different products um maybe you're somebody that just says i listen i w- only want to listen to the same u2 song every single day for the rest of my life well then maybe you wouldn't see a big difference um but if you interact with with artists if you interact with music if you interact with if you're interested in music um and you're open to listening to new things and you're interested in the discovery feature um spotify becomes a, a tool that you know it's hard to to live without Is there any competitor Spotify has to fear in your eyes? I think, yeah, maybe just to, there's two that, that, that come to, to mind because obviously in any business, you always have to be cognizant about, about the competition and, and really understand what they're doing and what the landscape is. Right. So when it comes to, to the big tech companies, I, it, it's not, it's not something I, I worry about a lot, especially when I look at Amazon and, and, and Apple, um, but you know, YouTube, I think is, is definitely one to watch closely because, you know, in, in some ways it's, it's the biggest music app in the world. There's, there's over 2 billion monthly active users globally. And, uh, I think the last stat we, we heard was, something like 25% of, of them engage in, in, in music listening or, or, or could be even higher. So, so you're definitely looking at a, at a platform that's, that's very much associated with, with music. What makes me comfortable as it is right now is, is the fact that I don't think they have prioritized their strategy in any way to, to become uh, an, an audio platform. Their, their still number one priority is, is, is video and makes a lot of sense for them as well, because it's, you know, it's, it's much higher monetization when you think about in terms of like advertising and, and, and things like that. So if they do end up shifting their strategy to, to, to become, you know, more focused on, on capturing the audio share, that's something I would watch very, very closely. So for example, if you, if you open the, the YouTube app in your, in your phone and you're not a paying and you're not a paying subscriber, As soon as you close it, if you're listening to something, it's gonna it's gonna stop, right? And uh, and I think that's a way for them to to try to to make you to make you pay for it, right? But if they really wanted to to go after this this market, they would just give that out for for free and sort of try to change that that consumer consumer habit and and even end up competing more directly with with Spotify. Um, 
So if you know, those are kind of some of the things that I that I watch for for in for YouTube specifically. But again, we don't we haven't really seen uh, much evidence that they're that they're shifting their their strategy in in any in any major in any major form. Uh, the only the other one I I like to keep an eye on, especially given how disruptive they've they've been in in the social media space this, these past couple of years is is TikTok. A lot of people obviously associate TikTok with with music. I don't think it's so. I I, I don't think of of TikTok as purely a, a music consumption, uh, you know, application, but it is a very important music discovery tool, and obviously, music is a big part of of their uh, of their platform in in general. Uh, they did launch a streaming service this year, I think, earlier this year or, or or last year, but it basically launched in in three markets, and we haven't seen any any more recent updates. Um, it's supposed to be a little bit more uh, social and focused on. Yeah, so on the social aspects of, of music, something that Spotify has has lacked historically. But again, that's just something to to watch to watch closely for me. And I, I haven't really seen that many, um, you know, that many updates to it or or any incremental evidence that they've started gaining a lot of share or or gaining traction in in, in important markets, etc. So, yeah, and I'd echo that. I mean, I w- I would agree with all that. Um, I would agree with everything you said. I would also point out that one of the things I, I focus, I look at or think about what, if there's something that kind of kept me up at night, it would be just this general leakage of, of audio and the internet and, and not necessarily all going just to Spotify or any of these big tech people. I think there's, um, just some things that, you know, as, as audio becomes more and more a part of, the internet in general of things you watch as audio gets integrated more into you know your daily life and things that you see on the internet. I mean, Daniel Eck talked about this concept in a recent interview at the at Patrick O'Shaughnessy's five-year anniversary uh, a few days ago. And but I think he's right that and it's something I've thought about too is that really maybe the bigger threat is that they just can't grow like they think they can. And so, although it may be a superior product and service, um, leaps and bounds in, in quality ahead of, you know, some of the others, um, there could just be some natural leakage just in audio and the internet in general. And um, the, 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 there's so much attention. <clears throat> there's only so much time in a day and, um, and it's really competition for your attention and then the ability to monetize that. So as we as audio becomes more prevalent on the internet, um, including the spoken word versus, you know, video, um, that, that is a form of competition, which people may not be thinking about, but um, it's, it's, it's on my mind as well. But I guess speaking just to the, to the big tech companies, I mean, when I play with the app, you know, of course I'm biased, but the way I use Spotify for research um, and podcasts and, and the way, you know, we use it at home for, baby music and discovery and, and, uh, stories and, um, listening to interviews with, with actors of movies that are coming out. I mean, if you think about the way we use it as a family, not just a stream, like some, you know, um, some, you know, curated music list. Um, I just don't see a lot of competition, um, there. I think it's, it's just, there's a big gap between what, what I see as far as quality, it's like comparing an entry level car with, you know, a, a, a supercar. So, um, but maybe the threat comes from just the sheer competition of just more and more things, uh, more and more um, uh, music and, you know, audio going online and, and permeating throughout everything we do. Maybe it's Peloton and it's a combination of Peloton and TikTok and YouTube and whoever else um, that's out there, small services in different countries. Um, there's decentralized stuff that's popping up. I mean, it really doesn't have the same, um, it doesn't have the same, uh, um, ease of use. Um, but 
I think you're going to, as time goes on, um, there's going to be more and more ways. The, the ways we consume audio online are the potential, the, the, the different ways that you can consume audio online is going to grow exponentially. You mentioned the word bias and maybe it's time for disclosure. We are all, meanwhile, all three invested in Spotify. So we are all a bit biased. Um, but coming back to the questions, what are three words that come to your mind when I would say the phrase or the idea of the culture of Spotify? How would you describe it with three words? Hey, Tillman here. I'm sure you're curious about the answer to this question. But this answer is exclusive to the members of my community, Good Investing Plus. Good Investing Plus is a place where we help each other to get better as investors day by day. If you are an ambitious, long-term oriented investor that likes to share, please apply for Good Investing Plus. Just go to good-investing.net slash plus. You can also find this link in the show notes. I'm waiting for your application. And without further ado, let's go back to the conversation. What is the management and our Daniel Eck adding to the company? Daniel Eck seems to be um, somebody that is very inspirational, somebody that keeps everybody on track and who keeps everybody focused and, and has a vision. Um, and that vision is to have all audio available on Spotify. So keeping people innovating and focused on that single purpose, um, because It's and, and again, these are just listening to interviews with different people in the company. If you can maintain that goal, if, if you could in, in a perfect world, I mean, if, of course, you're not going to have every single piece of audio um, on, on Spotify. But having that as the a goal allows you to set um, allows the creation of, of uh, or the the it allows for a lot of creative freedom to figure out what does it take and where are the incentives to get big pieces of audio that are not on Spotify to Spotify. An example of that was the, the was SOAP or the Spotify open access platform. So, and we talked about that on the last podcast, but that's an example of, of, of a team sitting around thinking, okay, we have to find a way to get iHeart content, for example, a big podcast competitor on to Spotify. Um, and how do we do that in a way where there's a win for everybody? And there's, that's a very different approach, I think, than some of the competitors who are not as focused on this or do not necessarily have, they have more of a winner take most mindset versus how, what do we have to do to get everybody on the platform um, and then how much we, you know, value does that add to our subscribers and, and to the creators by having everybody on the platform? We'll figure that out later, how to monitor the best ways to monetize that. But um, this vision and this drive to stay focused on the goal, even when the goal, um, you know, the goal is sort of sort of it seems sort of simple, but it's actually a very, very difficult goal. And I think he's done a great job of of, of keeping people focused on that. So. That would be my my takeaway, Daniel. Ek. Yeah, in in my mind, I mean, I think he's an incredible CEO, and more recently has started to be noticed by more and more people as you know his track record grows, et, et, et cetera. And I think it will keep he will keep on becoming more and more um, public over over the years. I mean, the the visionary part is 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 obvious right but again i don't think it can be understated what he's been able to achieve so far and and uh, and what his long term long term goal is i mean he the, arguably the, the company single handedly bailed out the music industry like there's that, that's that's one way that 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 you could think about it um by you know having been able to you know combat not only the labels and and convince them to, to to take on this completely new unproven business model but at the same time you were competing against the product that was completely free so i mean they were they were battling 
you know, all all over the place. It, 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 it was such an an incredibly challenging endeavor that they took on, and I think it's been an amazing what they've been able able to achieve. I I heard a, a very apt description of of him as a as a CEO. Uh, I think it was last week. There was a there was a podcast um, on the music business. Uh, it's, yeah, the Music Business Worldwide podcast interviewed uh, Troy Carter. He's a music executive. He was the manager of of Lady Gaga for a number of years. Uh, he also worked at Spotify for for a little bit. And when he was asked about Daniel Ek, he said he's always ten years of, ahead of everyone in terms of of like the industry and where where he's thinking. And uh, I thought that was such a simple but powerful way to think about it. And you know, most people nowadays are, when we look at, you know, we, we've, we, most of us are involved in the, in the stock market and we're very, we're very used to thinking about the next quarter, maybe the next year or something. But this is a guy that's truly thinking about where, where things are going to be in 10 years and spend, spends most of his days thinking about that. And that's in, in, in many ways similar to, you know, the, the kind of the Jeff Bezos uh, way of thinking. Right. And I think that's, that's a super important attribute to have when you're when you're managing a, a company of of this nature. So in in terms of, of of his vision, I think that's that's a good way to to explain it. He's also seems seems to me to be uh, an extremely patient um, individual, and in his own way, he you know he has a, he has a very firm vision, but. At the same time, he I think he strikes a balance of, you know, having the right flexibility in terms of how to get there, right? I don't think he he knew exactly how it was gonna happen. So you, you can't really you can't really trace that path from from day one and know exactly how you're gonna get there. So you you need to have also that that flexibility in your mind and sort of change course when you have to. And I think we've we've seen this already with the, the change in, in strategy as they implemented podcasting into, in, into their business model in the last couple of years. And we'll see more and more examples of this going forward. Yeah. And I, I would just echo that he's not afraid to take really big risk before anyone. He, they, they have been the trendsetter. I mean, their entrance into podcasting was really a first. They went in in a really big way. Um, and I think what he saw as far as the future of audio and, and that pivot away from just being a music streaming company was, uh, I think we'll look back someday and, and, and see that that was just a brilliant move, kind of similar to what Reed Hastings at Netflix saw uh, when, when they moved away from the CD and went to you know, streaming and, and saw a future where all video would be streamed someday. Um, and so that vision of, of transitioning away just from music to the bigger audio space, um, it seems maybe it sounds maybe trivial but but in fact nobody had done it and and he was a first and i think you'll continue to see the company um make first mover a uh, big big first mover decisions uh, ahead of everybody else and and then there'll be catch up uh, by the competition that comes in and and it seems to be to me that in the industry in the last 10 years or 15 years um or since spotify's been around it's always been about spotify making making a big decision, strategic decision, and then everybody else trying to catch up. And Daniel Ek has said uh, multiple times that Spotify is not for sale, that, that he wanted to build a company with, with uh, Lorenzo, I think that is his name, the co-founder. Um, yeah, Lawrence, that, that, that they wouldn't need to sell. And I really admire that mindset. Um, the company was not built to be sold. The company was built as a living organism to grow and to be as absolutely as big and, and important as it could possibly be. Um, and he's slowly building his own life's work and, and painting it in the public, public eye. He doesn't take a salary. Uh, he's fully aligned with the common shareholder as, as the largest shareholder. And, um, you know, when you invest in Spotify, you, you, you are getting Daniel Eck essentially for free. I mean, there's no, um, you're not paying him a fee. Um, there's no special equity class that he benefits from that the sh minority shareholders don't there. You, you probably won't look up one day and, and have any crazy capital allocation decisions made at the short-term oriented, for example, 
um, just to pump the quarter or whatever. So like you would potentially at other companies. Um, and you also don't see him taking shortcuts like you do at a lot of other big tech. There's several big tech companies that I've noticed taking really big shortcuts that have built products and services really more for the advertiser and not for the consumer. Um, and so the short term mindset um, leads to problems down the way. So uh, this idea more more that, you know, building, giving more than than you're taking and, and building something um, to you know, to stand the test of time um, for as long as possible um, is, you know, that that's the kind of company I want to be invested in because I can be fully aligned with some of the, you know, some of the best people and, and, and one of the best CEOs and entrepreneurs in the world. Daniel Leck is a friend with Mark Zuckerberg uh, that was disclosed in one of the podcasts of Patrick. And, um, you know, from Facebook, they have the strategy. If they see something interesting coming up somewhere in the world and new trends, they buy it or build something and use the leverage they have with their users on the platform to fight against competition. Do you see something like this adaptability or this acting also at Spotify that they are, then they see something that's taking off they also copy it or try to buy it yeah absolutely i mean the acquisitions they've made just in the last 12 months have been um not only incredibly strategic and valuable i think but that they've been um done on a value basis um and for you know these are relatively small companies i mean just the the acquisition of the green room I mean, they, they, I guess technically they could have gone out and tried to buy Clubhouse for many billions of dollars, but instead they they found the green room, which is incredible, and did a deal with them that was small enough to where it doesn't have to be disclosed. Um, if that tells you something, probably sub, you know, I heard something around 50 million plus an earnout, but who knows. The acquisition of pods, I mean, probably we're going to look back at, at the acquisition of pods and think that it was probably one of the most important acquisitions that, that they've made. Um, and that was also done on at a point where, at a, you know, for an amount of money uh, small enough that it didn't have to be disclosed. So we're not talking about we're talking about uh, capital allocation and discipline, um, you know, looking at everything they've bought, Anchor, um, you know, all the big podcast stuff, including the 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 investments in in, in the Joe Rogan experience and and the, the, the you know, the, the exclusive content is just. Um, it seems to be a real strong focus on payback and, and you know, maximizing what they buy and, and not, not spending as much as maybe some of the bigger companies like a Facebook, for example, in order to, to get up to, to deliver something really important um, as far as a strategic fit uh, for the company's um, next step up. Yeah, I've, I've been pretty impressed with their capital allocation strategies and track record the more I've been following the, the company. I think it's very, it's very clear for them when it makes sense to buy something versus to build it. And a lot of it comes down to how time sensitive it is to, to make a move on, on something. So could they have built Green Room on their own? I mean, yeah, probably. They, they could have done that maybe in six to 12 months, but instead they decided to buy, to buy Locker Room And in less than three months, they had rebranded the entire product and relaunched it. So, you know, live audio had come, you know, be become viral in, in many ways at a very quick pace. I mean, Clubhouse, everybody started, started hearing about Clubhouse in February. So it wasn't really that long, that long ago. And, and, and Spotify moved promptly, um, you know, in, in, in a matter of, uh, Of, of a month or two after after everyone was talking about clubhouse so I, I I think that was that was the right strategy and as jeremy said we've we've seen we've, we've seen various examples of that in uh, in in different parts of the of the value chain not only on the podcasting side and, and live audio but also also on the music side and and I think we'll we'll keep on on, on seeing more and more of that yeah and they've in the past they've talked about free cash flow um they've talked about the number of days of free cash flow used to pay for something i mean i think they're very they they, they realize too that it's um it seems to be that they realize that 
they, that they don't that they want to buy things that enhance the broader vision and 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 enhance their their bigger strategy. And so by default, that means they're not necessarily buying an entrance into, uh, they're not buy, using one company to completely enter something new, but, but more buying um, companies that just enhance the existing value proposition of what they already have. So it would have been a mistake, for example, to buy Clubhouse because they didn't necessarily need to buy that user base. They just needed the, the basic technology of live streaming to plug into their existing user base and their existing um, their existing podcast um, ecosystem. So, um, from that perspective, you know, it just the technology itself was was the driver more so than than the, the brand because Locker Room was rebranded. In. I mean, Locker Room originally was was Betty Labs and something, but it was re rebranded to to Green Room. So, it was really the technology um, which. Yeah, which meant that they could pay a much lower price um, because it was a much, much less developed as a business and more developed as, as uh, on the tech side. And I think you see that with pods too, um, which again, I, I've talked about it before, but I think is really, I think we'll look back as one of the most brilliant acquisitions that they've made. Pods had, it seemed like a very developed, very developed tech that was much further ahead of, of, of anyone else of the competition and, and the quest to kind of Figure out how to monetize the spoken word um, and socialize the the the, the spoken word, um, but the tech was built out, but the business itself really wasn't. So it was a perfect match. And I would assume that um, that the sellers, you know, because they're staying on and they're and they're helping to be a part of a much bigger uh, repositioning Spotify and, and, be, and being a part of that future, that they're they're they have an earnout um, that allows them to be, to feel like they're made whole, um, and, and not regret selling the company too early, um, because of the importance of that tech, um, and, and, and the, the distance that that tech can go within Spotify versus, um, as a standalone business. It's a different capital allocation strategy than buying massive companies for tens of billions. Yeah. So it's definitely been shifting to Spotify's favor, if we think five years ago versus today, and I think the trend still holds if if we if we look out uh, on the next five years. So, you know, back in in, in twenty sixteen, the labels had uh, a lot of the or most of the of the power when it came to negotiating these these very complex deals. The payouts were much higher, so the, the Spotify's gross margins were were much lower than they are today before the IPO in, I think it was in, in early 2018, they were able to negotiate higher payouts uh, right before going, going public. The next, uh, so the next step in the sort of in the evolution of this relationship, which as it stands today, I think it's, it's very symbiotic. So you know they basically need each other, and they're they're not they're not going to do anything to hurt each other. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the, the negotiations are 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 easy, though. They're still they're still very very tough and and, and complex. But I think what they're what, what Spotify will be able to do over over the next few years is to start bringing some of the some of the label expenses over to their to their income statement, basically. And we've already seen some of this with the two-sided marketplace strategy where the labels will be spending some marketing dollars on the on, on Spotify basically at very high gross margins. And we can see this develop in, in different ways and eventually even start monetizing some of the data that that Spotify is providing the labels. So not necessarily di directly changing the the percentage of payouts that they're that they're giving out to these uh, to these right holders, but find more creative ways uh, that can, you know, sort of grow the pie for everyone, and and everyone's gonna gonna benefit from it. the 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 only other the the other option that I that comes to mind there as well is is price increases, where Spotify can find ways to to get a a little a little better sort of payout structure for every incremental dollar that they're that they're able to to increase prices on. 
Yeah, and it's I I think it's there's been this mindset in the market that it's uh, this tug of war and this fight over uh, a finite a very finite um, dollar amount of you know a very finite margin that they're fighting over, and I don't think that's true. I think that there's a what's what's going to happen in five years is the that the mar- Spotify's margins will definitely go up, and and the the relationship with the labels will absolutely favor Spotify more and more as time goes on. But the labels have their own really unique opportunities to grow. Um, and they also have their own margin expansion opportunities as well. So um, I, I like to think of it as the, you know, the industry is just so small, the addressable market. And it's the way we've thought about music in the past is really limited the addressable market. And as we go forward, the addressable market will just expand. I mean, I think the opportunity in the addressable market is really the, the bigger story. And there's there's room for everybody to make a lot more money. Um, you know, the way that labels conduct themselves and grow an emerging artist or even a, a, an established artist are changing really rapidly. And they're depending more and more on digital digital marketplaces and digital tools. You know, the kind of person that would have been successful at a record label or would have been hired at a record label 20 years ago is probably very different than the person that they would hire today. I mean, the job to be done today, to use Daniel X terminology, is uh, a record label is probably maximizing the the brand value of, a, of an artist um, on different digital formats and engaging, find new, finding new businesses and new ways to engage with the, with the fan base. First of all, identifying the super fan base all over the world and then finding ways to engage with them beyond just selling them advertising or selling concert tickets. Um, and you don't do that through, you know, that's not necessarily something, um, the, the skill set required to do that is very different. And so there's a lot of changes happening that do favor the, the, the larger platforms or digital kind of a digital mindset in general. Um, but that doesn't mean that the labels lose and Spotify wins. I think they all kind of win. Um, and um, yeah, to, to Sleepwell's point, um, the, the, the balance of power, though, is, is, is feels like it's shifting much more to the benefit of 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 the digital platform, which is where um, the the new sources of revenue are going to come from, and where new business models are being built on top of the data um, that, that that platforms like Spotify are able to generate. Do you have any rough estimate about the TAM growth? Uh, what is the TAM now at a total addressable market? And well, the TAM now, I mean, recorded music is something like 31, 32 billion a year. And there's some debate on, on that number. Um, from what I've read, a lot of, a lot of times numbers are counted twice and there's overlap, but the actual number, um, is somewhere around 31 billion and recorded music and, um, podcast advertising revenue is less than a billion, which is kind of crazy, kind of crazy to think about. So um, the old way of, of the music was brought, you know, the, it was through you know, the, the traditional way that music was, was um, brought to, to consumers um, is, is completely changed. It was controlled by a handful of people and, and the opportunity just for a musician or for a creator, whether it's a podcast host or an audio book owner um, or even maybe a medium that we don't necessarily have as mainstream today to make money by maximizing the brand value of the artist is what is not in the addressable market today. So the addressable market today is essentially just streaming revenue and maybe on the other side, uh, concerts um, and maybe a little bit of merchandise or something. Um, And that's, it's really, when you think about what does a, what does a, um, what is the value of a super fan? Um, I don't know if you've ever really fallen in love with, with a band or had a song really move you and get you through hard times or, or have a memory or really important life moment, um, you know, to anchored on a song or a group. Um, you don't have to go further than, than high school to see uh, certain kids, you know, what, what music does certain groups, it, it, it determines the way you dress, the way you think the friends you hang out with it. Um, and as you get older, it also, um, it also, you know, has more value just beyond an, a background, you know, background music in a grocery store or something. 
So um, you think about what does a country concert mean for the two hours you're at a country concert? It's Americana, it's tailgating, it's barbecue, it's it's all those things. What, what does a U2 concert feel like for that two hours? It's um, the rush of the experience, but it's also what does it stand for? And what else could Bono and U2 sell uh, to their super fans beyond just a concert every two or three years? And I think we're just now starting to explore what that means, whether it's individual experiences with the band or just um, the the feeling of what it means to be a part of that tribe, um, wh whatever that represents. You know, you think about the, the advertisement that Bruce Springsteen did or the Super Bowl for Jeep and, you know, the Bruce Springsteen kind of person, um, the way he dresses, the, the car, the Jeep he drives. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of thinking. It's the the genre. It's the the, the topics that he sings about, for example. Um, to, to think that all the only value in Bruce Springsteen or Bruce Springsteen's value is just limited to how many concerts he can sing or the number of streams he can get um, on platforms is kind of ridiculous. I mean, it feels like we're just scratching the surface and what's possible um, once, um, you know, between what's possible between um, a, a creator and, and the super fan. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it's it's definitely bigger than 31 billion. <laughs> it reminds me a bit of a scene I saw from the documentary about Rammstein and their global success. And they w yeah. went to Mexico for a concert. They were the first time there and they then discovered outside of the concert, there's the whole ecosystem where they sell Rammstein products yeah. with every different fees you have bottle openers, keys, whatever with Rammstein logo. And they didn't even know about it. So transform this in a digital world. And it, the, the, Daniel, like has talked about before, you know, he, he, Spotify is essentially a, um, uh, is morphing into just a tool set for a creator to identify a way that they want to make money. So some creators, maybe it's, it's, you know, give everything away for free and, or just sell concert tickets for other creators. It's um, selling something really exclusive. Um, so it's just, the first step is to identify your, your, your fan base. And that fan base is constantly evolving over time. It's not a stagnant thing. It's constantly in motion and moving and evolving and, and identifying who those people are and, and their tolerance for, you know, what they're actually worth um, to, to the artist and um, building that interaction and that feedback between the two, whether it's a podcast host, whether it's um, unlocking uh, data and information that's dis discussed in a podcast to, Unlocking the brand value of a of a startup, you know, young rapper coming out of um, you know the ghetto, some ghetto, and and you know a, a, a poor a poor country in Latin America, for example, and and um, connecting with a with an audience maybe in in you know in Norway, I don't know. So there's there's just a lot to that, that can that can be done. I mean, it's it it feels a lot like the early days of the internet. It's it's one of the industries that has not really evolved financially um, with with the internet, kind of like what well, like other industries have. Uh, so when you talk about the TAM, I just think it's unfortunately something that is you have to corral into thinking about maybe Spotify's opportunity to sell premium subscriptions and advertising and in, in, in um, podcasts and stuff like that. And and that opportunity is probably tens of billions more than it is today, a longer term. But as far as the entire industry is concerned, I mean just just think about the value of putting more music, finding ways to put more music and and on the internet alone, and, and spoken word on the internet alone is just got to be, um, it's just got to be enormous. And and to take a stab at it would have been like taking a stab at what is streaming video worth. You know, twenty years ago, people or fifteen years ago, people thought that that Netflix didn't have any value and would be forced to sell to a bigger competitor or to a big movie studio because. The, the 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 consensus was that there, the, the the video streaming uh, addressable market was maybe one billion, and fast forward today, and we still don't know what the addressable market is for for online streaming uh, for video streaming. I mean, it's just going to continue to grow and grow, but we know it's definitely a lot bigger than one billion. So um, yeah. it, it's it's an incredible runway to to invest in. I think about it in 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 different ways and any way you look at it 
points to just how under-monetized the market is and, and how large the opportunity is. I think we can go anywhere from four, maybe even five times as big as we are today in, in 10 years' time, right? If you think about you know, streaming penetration right now, you have around 440 million paying subscribers globally. There's roughly, call it 4 billion smartphones at which is consistently growing at a at a rate of of maybe six to seven percent. So naturally, you get a tailwind from that as well. But just just by getting higher penetration uh, from streaming as a on a global basis, which I think is 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 a natural is a natural thing to happen in in the next in the next couple of years, as we've proven how much of a superior value this this product is for every consumer out there. And then on the other hand, you have the monetization side, which can also improve. So when you, when you combine those and, you know, put those two together, it's, it's not, it's not hard to see how this, how this market can, can quadruple in the next, in the next 40, in the next 10 years. Sorry. Well, and, um, and, and to your point, Sleepwell, it's, you know, by our calculations, there's something like 4.3 to 4.4 billion people between the ages of, of 15 and, and 64 who are potential, you know, that's kind of a potential demographic to be a premium subscriber in the world, yeah. ex-China. So just excluding China because China has its own, you know, they have they have Tencent music and they right. have their own regulations and rules. And so just forgetting China, re, you know, the, the rest of world, ex-China is about, about you know, let, let's call it a, a similar... Um, a similar number to what you were just talking about with smartphones. So let's call it maybe even, you know, 4.3, 4.2 billion, billion people. And um, Spotify, you know, in a lot of markets may have, you know, 20% of that, but um, it's still very, very underpenetrated. Um, so globally, I think, you know, at 165 million uh, paying premium subscribers, maybe they have, you know, by our calculation, you know, less than 4%. Uh, they penetrate something like three and a half to three point eight percent of 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 the market, um, and on and on including the freemium um, uh, subscribers, you're still at like eight point something, eight point five percent of of fifteen to sixty four year olds ex China, which is pretty incredible. And just looking at the U.S. numbers, and, and again, it's hard to think about Spotify being the by far the market leader, and it's still yet such a small company in terms of percentage of market share compared to radio. But in um, in country you know, and in places like the like Europe, where where Spotify, you know, Spotify is a Swedish company, and and I'd say you know Europe is probably more saturated or more evolved in its terms of streaming than other other places, but. Spotify still only has like a twenty, a little over twenty percent uh, uh, penetration um, with user with sixty six million premium subscribers, which is about the population of France. So there's just a, no matter how you look at it, whether it's Africa of a billion plus people between fifteen and, and sixty four, whether it's um, the rest of Asia, whether it's Latin America, um, you know, with four hundred and something million people between the, the ages of fifteen and sixty four, there's just an enormous opportunity, whether it's just, whether it's freemium or premium, um, and we're just scratching the surface. In your eyes, what are the top five drove drivers for Spotify? Like the five forces that can bring the, the growth. Sleepwell and I had a great talk yesterday and he had a really interesting way of framing the flywheel. So uh, you might want to, maybe that's something to talk about. Yeah, I think it makes sense, especially given their, there's been a, a subtle shift in their, in their their management's narrative and, and way of explaining the company, where we've seen a more recent focus on on the creator side. It used to be it used to be a lot more focused on the on the user experience, but I think now there's more of a balance between being able to help out creators. And work towards their goal of of eventually achieving, you know, one million creators being able to live off of their their craft, and at the same time serving a billion users. And I think these these two sort of supply and, de and demand components uh, really feed off each other um, a lot because 
if you give creators the the best tools to to monetize and and connect with their with all of their fans and uh, you know offer them the best the the best platform to to you know to exemplify and 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 show off their their work it's naturally going to bring a lot a lot more more users to the platform and at the same time you know you get the the classic flywheel effect that the more users you bring uh, the more likely creators are 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 going to be uh, attracted to your platform. So I think it it makes a lot of sense for for Spotify to to pursue the strategy of of um, a- attacking both sides of 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 this supply and demand curve, and um, it, it that's going to be a, a very a very big driver of of their growth going going forward. So if we if we translate that to you know sort of more KPI metrics, obviously we're looking at MAUs and both MAUs and premium subscribers, but then you also have to pay attention to what management is saying in terms of how many creators they, they have in the, in the platform. I think the, the, recent, the most recent number we heard was uh, somewhere in the 6 million uh, figure. If you count, this obviously includes artists and, and podcasters. Uh, we've heard management say they can, they can probably double this this number in the next couple of years and eventually reach a figure as as high as 50 million creators which i think is 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 incredible right so these two these two i think are the are the most important metrics to 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 you know to keep a close eye on as as we as we go forward and and the you know the strategy the strategy develops the other one that that comes to mind for me that's super important is is engagement, right? And there's different ways to to think about this and sort of understand how much of the listening share is is, is coming from podcasts, and if that's in, that if that's increasing overall music consumption as well, and increasing the overall time spent on the on the platform, and also comparing how much time is is being spent on on Spotify versus versus the competition. So those are those are some of the the big ones that I like to focus on. Yeah, and, and I think just to chime in on that, it's um, the the flywheel of you know it, the engagement is key. So the more time, the whatever Spotify can do to increase the engagement is probably the most important investment they can make. So the engagement um, drives the, the so, so the model is that most people start, they come in as a free user, freemium, and then they convert to premium over time. So the more somebody's engaged, a more subscribers engage with the, with the service, the higher likelihood that they will convert to a premium subscriber. And so the business model is around increasing that, that engagement. So it's not good enough, for example, to, you know, I think, and, and sleep will tell me if I'm wrong on this, but I, I think that the average engagement is something like 25 or 30 hours a month. Um, and so their goal is to maybe, yeah, and probably a lot higher now. Last we heard, yes, but I think that might be higher now with podcasts. This is this figure, this figure was like from three years ago or something. Oh, okay. Okay. So let's say it's, I don't know, yeah, 30% higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. And, so the more they can do to increase engagement, so let's say, um, you know, by, by focusing on the artist and, and building value for the artist, by default, it builds value for the for the subscriber and it encourages the subscriber to engage more, which is, increases the chance that, that they'll flip to the premium service, which also over time increases the chance that they can, they'll pay more for that premium subscription. So if you think about Netflix, where they were, um, you know, there was a point in, in the past where, you know, the, 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 the number of the selection wasn't that great, you know, going back 10 years or eight years. But, but today, the, the selection is so great and it's become such an integral part of people's um, video streaming life that it's easier. Uh, the engagement is so high, it's easier for Netflix to raise prices. And I think you'll see that with Spotify as the engagement increases because you have access to um, you know, some, some events or some, um, um, engage more engagement with your, with, you know, some, some with artists, uh, let's say you get an invitation to do a behind the scenes, um, or pre album, uh, engagement with, a, with, a with an artist before the, sh- before the, you know, before the concert, or you get Patrick O'Shaughnessy says, Hey, you can, you know, do thy top 
my top fans um, get to ask you know one on one questions with the with the person I'm going to interview uh, right after the show. You know, things like that are going to cause you to engage more. And and I think one of the one of the they're just working on so many different ways of focusing on that that engagement and increasing that engagement. One of the things they talk about is you know becoming the audio browser. And the audio browser, for example, in podcasts could be, um, you know, it could be really valuable to uh, to be able to to do more and more research and search things out through through podcasts. Um, and so I can see a future where you just can't live without the well, you can, but a, a future where it becomes normal for most people to have a subscription to Spotify, a paid subscription to Spotify, just like you think of Netflix today. It's relatively normal to, to for most people in the developed world, at least to have a subscription to, to Netflix. And um, they're going about that through, through, through um, doing whatever they can to increase engagement and providing much more value than they're, than they're asking you to pay. Maybe let's walk a bit through the puzzle pieces they are building to increase engagement. And uh, one big puzzle piece is the widening of the market with the offer of the service to emerging markets. Uh, they released at the last Capital Markets Day. How they are going about emerging markets, Spotify? They launched in 85 markets this year, right? They. Yeah, I, I mean, just first off, when it comes to to these markets versus launching in in you know markets where they actually had a, a very big head start like um latin america is is known to have been a, a a massive success because they were pretty early on on the process and and the brand was already very well known in the in the region so they're very much the undisputed leader in in the entire region and but these these newer markets most mostly were in you know countries like in Southeast Asia, uh, Africa, the Middle East, um, a, a handful of other countries in in other regions. But basically, were most of them were were centered in, in in these regions. I think it. I mean, it's it's not a surprise because we know they're that they're going after basically the entire world, excluding China, and uh, you know we know that. From the most recent quarter results weren't as you know they, they weren't in, in, as impressive as maybe some people would have expected them to be. But uh, I think there's there's a couple things to keep in mind when it comes to these to these newer, uh, more sort of developing countries. The f the first one is that a, a lot of them are very much dominated by piracy, right? So it's you're working towards competing with a completely free product, right? And sort of educating the, the consumers uh, about this, this superior product that you can also have for free. And eventually it, it would make sense to pay. Obviously you have to offer it at a, at a much lower price point compared to, to any other uh, market that, that has higher incomes. And at the same time, in, in many of these markets, you're, competing with local players that may have may have been around for maybe three or five years right so those those already had a a, a head start and uh, the marketing spend in these in these launches is 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 very important and something that they actually cut down in the in the last couple of months because of of covid restrictions that that came back in in certain places so I think it's it's very important to to follow to follow these these newer markets and and see what the traction is 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 like i think it will take time it's i i don't expect them to to you know to get millions and millions of of new uh, maus and subscribers overnight but it's it's definitely the the right strategy and i also think they had to move they had to move fast because again you already had some competition in the, in the, with local presence, um, YouTube is another big player in, in many of these countries that's been around for for a, for a long time. So time was definitely of the essence, and and uh, they had they had to move fast in in that sense. Yeah, it, it, and 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 um, yeah, the the monetization of I just keep coming back to something. It's just a really basic fact: is that you know, as of last quarter the company was earning something like 50 cents us cents per subscriber in gross profit so 
it's the opportunity is 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 there um, that 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 gross profit per total subscriber has, has continued to grow is kegered in the mid twenties for the last five years, um, but there will be a point where that grows. I think it has the potential to grow just exponentially. Um, and a lot of it has to do with these, with, with them figuring out how to, how to most effectively open up these markets that they're just now getting into. So if you think about some of the less obvious opportunities, um, you know, in, in developing countries. So let's say they opened in Tunisia. They, one, of the, one of the markets they talked about was Tunisia that they opened in. What is the opportunity in Tunisia? Do you think that everybody is going to start paying $10, $15 a month for a subscription in Tunisia? Probably not. But if you think about the opportunity for the artist, for an artist that didn't have an opportunity before, that didn't have an audience um, before, there, there is a, uh, a natural pull through where a local artist um, now feels like, you know, that they can be heard, that they can upload their music um, through um, uh, like a digital label, like, like Believe, for example, and build an art, build a fan base. And that has two things. First, first of all, that, that helps create engagement and, and um, with the existing Spotify user base that might be interested in, in that music. And secondly, it drives new users in that country and, and for that type of that music as well. So if you discover a, a new musician um, in, in, in Tunisia, for example, and that, that guy says, hey, or that girl says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm on Spotify, that there's a higher probability that that word will spread and that the audience or the fans of that artist um, will at least listen to the freemium model in Spotify to listen to that artist. And as the tools get built out, which are really there to either um, uh, compensate that artist in different ways or, or, or book a concert or sell merchandise or support them in a certain way. As those tools become more and more prevalent um, with the combination of, I think, uh, maybe a blockchain solution um, and payments that maybe we'll talk about later through the DM association. Um, and and you start to open up a way or different, different paths to monetize those markets um, in a way that I think the market's not necessarily thinking about um, that will be a little bit different from um, just the obvious, uh, you know, just increase, you know, um, expecting that everybody's going to have a premium subscription. Now it's time for a break. As our episode on Spotify was really long, we decided to split it into two episodes. You will find more on Spotify in an upcoming podcast on this channel. So please subscribe. Thank you. As in every video, also here is the disclaimer. You can find the link to the disclaimer below in the show notes. The disclaimer says, always do your own work. What we're doing here is no recommendation and no advice. So please always do your own work. Thank you very much.